caution. The contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. In this episode of the Coffeehouse, we're traveling to a country we have not yet visited, Belgium. And while we're there, we'll learn all about Henri Vuitton and his exciting violin concerto number five. Henri Vuitton was born in Vivier, Belgium in 1820. Frequent listeners of the Coffee House will know that this time period is in the early Romantic era, when solo virtuosic touring was becoming immensely popular. The young Henri began learning the violin with his father, who was a weaver by trade but a violinist by hobby. And as a young child given an instrument was wont to do at this time, Henri learned readily and was soon praised as a prodigy. His first public performance was of Pierre Rodet's fifth violin concerto, and he was only six years old. His success with this concert inspired his father to take him on a sort of mini-tour in the surrounding regions, and through this endeavor, he attracted the attention of another famed Belgian violin teacher and performer, Charles-Auguste de Berriot, who insisted that Henri become his pupil. And this led to big things. De Berriot arranged a tour to Paris to present his new young star, and Henri was a hit. Due to personal circumstances, de Berriot had to retire from teaching early, leaving Vuitton teacherless at the age of 11. However, that didn't stop him from continuing his upward trajectory. For a few years, he practiced on his own and eventually had prepared for a tour to Germany and Austria. On this tour, he became almost single-handedly responsible for saving Beethoven's violin concerto from falling into obscurity, and he found himself another teacher, Simon Secher, a Viennese composition instructor. Vuitton continued touring and meeting important people throughout his teen years. He wrote his first violin concerto in 1836 at the ripe age of 16. Apparently, he was very fond of traveling and visited all European countries numerous times and made three tours to the United States. His technique was described as by contemporaries as being impeccable, and he was hailed as one of the top violin masters at the time. However, his performance technique was somewhat different than other romantic virtuosos. While some performers, such as Liszt, were all about the flashiness and showmanship, Vuitton was more laid back and almost unassuming in his performances. Here's a description of his stage presence by an American critic. Quote, he is a small, puny-built man with gold rings in his ears and a face of genteel ugliness, but touchingly lugubrious in his expression. With the violin at his shoulder, he has the air of a husband undergoing the nocturnal penance of walking the room with the child and performing it too with unaffected pity. And this was a positive review, actually. Overall, it seems he didn't look like a performer or behave like a performer, but the sounds he created would captivate his audiences. Vuitton would often take jobs for a few years in between his touring life, and these jobs were pretty high caliber. In one such job, he served as the court solo violinist to the Emperor of Russia, while also holding a post in the St. Petersburg Conservatory. 
He also held positions in the Brussels Conservatory as a violin professor and as a director of their popular concert series. In 1873, when he was 53 years old, Vuitton suffered from a stroke that left the left side of his body paralyzed. He did his best to recover from the event, but only regained partial function. He was never able to go back to his performing and touring lifestyle, but he could at least go back to teaching, and was even able to occasionally play in light chamber music settings. Understandably, following this event and subsequent restriction of his daily activities, his personality changed somewhat, and he was known to go into fits of rage. Eventually, he resigned from the conservatory life and moved to Algeria. And this is not actually as extreme as it sounds, he had a daughter living there who he moved in with. He kept up with the composing following this move, but his playing ability was still minimal. Vuitton died in 1881, apparently from a blow to the head by a stone that was thrown into his carriage. What a way to end such an interesting and overall productive life. Vuitton's Violin Concerto No. 5 was composed between 1858 to 1859. At that time, Vuitton was the violin professor for the Brussels Conservatory. As he was also fairly well known for his composition prowess by now, he was tasked with writing a solo de concours style work for the senior students at the conservatory. Much like the Paris Conservatory system, the Brussels Conservatory held annual competitions for its students to show that they were progressing or not, as the case may be. And so, Vuitton wrote a challenging yet engaging work. The original work only included the first and third movements, but Vuitton added a middle adagio movement to provide additional opportunities for expression in showing different violin abilities. The adagio quotes a melody from the opera Lucille by André Gentry, and as such, the concerto is sometimes nicknamed the Gentry Concerto. The movements are played continuously with no pause. However, they are divided, of course, by style, and also extensive cadenzas featuring the solo violinist, while the orchestra gets to take a rest. The whole piece begins with a rather long orchestral introduction. While this in itself is not abnormal for the time period, it does seem a bit superfluous to have written a conservatory competition piece with so much waiting around for the soloists. It would seem that if all students had to play the same piece, the listening judges would just want to jump right into listening to the performer they're actually criticizing, rather than listening to minutes of lovely orchestra music that is overall inconsequential to the final scoring. However, it was the norm for the time and the Sonata Allegro form to have the orchestra essentially play through the whole A theme once before the soloist is introduced, so perhaps Vuitton was seeing the bigger picture that his piece would someday be performed in a real concert setting rather than just a school competition. Though Vuitton's primarily wrote for the violin, he obviously was a well-rounded composer, confident in writing for all other instruments. Just before the violin finally enters, he exhibits some wonderful, colorful writing with the woodwind and string choirs. Coming out of a dramatic string statement, he starts a little chord progression with a single clarinet that splits into a chord between the first and second clarinet. Then the oboe enters with a color that's just different enough to make it interesting. 
This subtle, gradual chord expansion then repeats, almost like an inhale and exhale of breath. It is then mimicked through the string section, and when the soloist comes in, they now have the ability to almost sneak right into the established sound as though they're just another orchestral color before actually blossoming into the solo with a brilliant upward line. And Vutamp continues to play with orchestral color to the extent that some members of the orchestra actually become part of the violin solo line. Here, the violin is building up to what we know is a great cadence. The violin makes this upward half-step that the listener will accurately predict to be sequenced at least once more before the final cadence. However, the soloist isn't the one who completes that sequence. It's actually the oboe. These two notes were essentially taken right out of the solo violin line and redistributed to the oboe to play in order for the violinist to prepare their pickup notes going into the real melody. On the coffee house, you've frequently heard us talk about such chord progressions like 4, 5, 1, or the circle of fifths sequence. In each of these cases, the music has sounded unique, but still utilized these common chord progressions. Vutomp, of course, uses those same chord progressions throughout his work. However, there is another chord progression that he uses that will also sound familiar to listeners that we might not have gone into before, and that is the 1, 2, 4. This progression has a very grand sound to it. It starts with the major tonic, then moves a whole step up to the minor second, thus creating tension. It then leaps to the major four predominant, which relieves the tension. This sound often appears in dramatic soundtrack-style music, and here, Vutomp was just writing it into a competition piece. Previously, we discussed how the orchestra sometimes acted as a crucial part of the solo line by taking over some of the parts the soloist could be playing. However, there are also times where the soloist gets to take over parts the orchestra could be playing. What we mean by that is through the use of double stops to make chords and quick jumping between octaves to create the illusion of two voices, the soloist is essentially providing accompaniment for themselves. And we would be remiss not to discuss the cadenza written at the end of the first movement. While cadenzas are sometimes composed by performers or even improvised on the spot, Vutomp actually provided two pre-written options for the student performers to select from. In the recording we're listening to today, the soloist has chosen to play the second, slightly longer cadenza. As though the previous movement had not shown off the incredible skill and virtuosity of the performer, 
The cadenza is really a chance to show off all your artistic talents. Following the cadenza, the adagio afterthought movement is basically just a single statement of the quoted opera theme. However, it's sweet and simple, and is a good chance for the performer to show off their lyrical prowess. That is, before jumping right into a scherzo-like finale, that is actually meant to be the third movement. And with that fiery ending, this episode of The Coffee House has also reached its end. We hope that you've had a wonderful time listening to this entertaining solo work by Henri Vuitton with us today. And if you have, I would encourage you to please drop a like on our show on Spotify and a follow if you can. Share us with like-minded people that you know and <laughs> give us a review on iTunes or Google Play. For the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. The Violin Concerto No. 5 was performed by the DuPage Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Barbara Schubert. You can find The Coffeehouse on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.